Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for listening once again. We truly appreciate the support each and every week. Please make sure you are liking, sharing, following, subscribing to us on whatever streaming service you are listening on, and head over to social media as well and give us a follow there so you can stay up to date on all the exciting episodes we have coming up in the future. Today, we're sitting down with Brandon Lancaster. He is the front man of Lanco. Now, the band got their big break back in 2015 when Brandon decided to strike up a conversation with producer Jay Joyce at a Keith Urban concert. That conversation turned into the band's debut album, which turned into a number one single. Now, the band just released their new EP, Honky Tonk Hippies, which they self-wrote and self-produced in 2020. It was a great time to reconnect as a band and really digest what had just happened over the last few years. So please enjoy our conversation with Brandon Lancaster. I've talked to some musicians who kind of talk about the fact, you know, when you're recording an album, you're usually off the road for a bit. You're not touring. So you do have those stretches as an artist, but this one kind of felt different because you were told you couldn't do it. So it was different in that way. So what has it been like being back as compared to when you're doing an album and get back on the road? Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, the whole past year, um, as much as you've like tried to make it feel normal, like before we could go back out and stuff, you know, you'd try and make it feel normal, but there was definitely times, you know, it was always in the back of your mind that, that things weren't quite normal, but you're trying to write in a headspace that it will be one day and we'll be playing these songs live. Um, so I think mentally that was always interesting, but I mean, honestly, you know, we, uh, we, we have, you know, our first, our debut record came out in uh, 2018 and really ever since then we have been on the road nonstop. We really haven't taken time off other than like holidays. And so, um, you know, when we have been writing or creating music, it's always been on a schedule. It's been okay. You're off the road for three days. So on Tuesday, you're going to go write. On the next Tuesday, you're going to go record. We might bring a producer out or a writer out on the bus and we'd be, you know, set up on our bus or set up in hotel rooms working on music. So to actually, um, I think the biggest thing that was surprising was, was creating without a schedule. We haven't done that in years. And so having the time to just create for creation's sake and inspiration, I mean, really, there hasn't been a time in years where I could just call up one of the guys in the band and be like, hey, I've got this idea. You want to work on it right now? Um, and so that was definitely different. You're one of the rare guys who grew up in the Nashville area and now still live there. And so when you were younger, did your parents have anything to do with the music scene living that close to Nashville? Yeah. So um, my my dad's from uh, the Philly area, Philadelphia. My mom's from Oregon. Um, and so, but they moved there before I was born because my dad was, uh, my dad was in Christian music. He had done it forever. And then once I was born, kind of called it, but, um, you know, they were just educators, they were teachers my whole life. So I, I didn't really grow up around like a music industry family. Um, but I was always around it and it, you're just so close to the action that, you know, I, in middle school for a field trip, went to the Bluebird Cafe, you know, so you were exposed to it. You were exposed to music and exposed to um yeah writers and producers and that kind of stuff so I, I definitely had the advantage of of even knowing that world existed because a lot of people don't even know that world exists until you know later in life it was around 13 14 that you started making trips into the bluebird cafe and that's also around the time you started writing 
So was that sort of linked together? Did those trips to the Bluebird give you the inspiration to start writing? Um, yeah, definitely. You know, I think that once again, just being exposed to it and seeing, okay, this sounds wild, but like when you hear a record or you hear it on the radio, it seems so far away, but being able to go to the Bluebird Cafe on an open mic night, not on a professional night, but on an open mic night where it was just normal people working jobs that just wrote a song. And I had already been playing piano and guitar at that point and realized like, oh, this isn't something that, you know, you have to be in a big shiny building for, you have to be this huge pro, you can just do it. You can just, if you have an idea, just put some music to it and some melody and have fun. And so, yeah, around 13, I just started, you know, whether it was a funny song or, or you know, songs from my friends or songs about sports, whatever was important <laughs> to me in life, I started writing about that. And just, yeah, the idea that you can, yeah, you can just write, if you know a few chords, you can start writing. And do you have any of those songs still that you were writing back then? Uh, there's one that I've always joked about because the first real song, like front to back, I was in eighth grade. That it's funny because like the first real song I ever wrote was a country song, which was called Mullet Man. Uh, um, and I had no idea I was going to be writing about Morgan Wallen. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, yeah, just Mullet Man rides around in this red Trans Am. <laughs> nice. And how many high school bands were you in? Oh, I, I don't even know. I was all, I mean, I, I was definitely in a music scene. And so it was always just, I mean, you were in a band like every other week, you were in a new band, you know, you and your friends, like I was just in a group of musicians. So we would just start a new band and then start a rock band and then start a country band. And it was just like a kind of revolving door of my friends all just making bands, pretty much whoever could play a show. That was the band for that show. <laughs> And so what was it about country throughout that time of sort of switching from rock bands to country bands? What was it about country that finally drew you in as the number one inspiration? Yeah, it definitely was just about where, where you're getting your inspiration from. Um, I love the energy in rock and roll music. I love going to rock shows. I still love rock shows. I love the crowd surfing and I love the, you know, the, the intensity that rock music has to and kind of the angst. Um, but when you start writing and you start writing about your life and you were raised in Smyrna, Tennessee, and you were raised out in the country and you, you know, all those experiences of the Friday night football games and the parking lot parties and, and the two lane roads, like those things that to some people can sound cliche, but when that's actually your life and that's where you draw your experiences from, you know, I'm not from Brooklyn. I can't write about hanging out by the Hudson. Like I can't write about big buildings. That just isn't in uh, my uh, a worldview, you know, I, I've now been exposed to it, but it really came down to, okay, if I'm writing, I was writing rock music with country lyrics because that was all I knew. And so that's kind of where it was like, okay, if I want to be the most honest version of myself and tell my stories, it has to be country music because I was raised in Smyrna, Tennessee. Is there a point in your life that you can remember where you really felt music take hold and you thought, yeah, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life? Yeah, you know, I, so I started playing piano um, when I was like five years old and started playing guitar when I was like nine. So I always had music. It was always a thing. And I played sports too, but music was always the thing that really was me and where I could express myself. And it, it, it was more a part of my identity than anything else I was involved in. And so I don't know if I ever thought like, oh, this is going to be my career. I, that's definitely what I wanted. But music is so weird because like I get asked a lot, like if you weren't doing music, what else would you do? And it's like, I didn't, you know, 
I wish you could, but you can't really fill out a job application to be a professional musician. You kind of just have to do it and keep doing, I'm doing the exact same thing now was in high school. You know, I'm just in, I'm in one band instead of a bunch of bands, but you just keep doing it. And I think that, you know, no matter what I was doing, I did go to college. Um, but even during that time, it was like I was studying classes and yeah, I was studying, but the second I got out of class, I was doing music. So that just always was the constant um, in my life. It was always my identity. And so I think it was just a natural thing that I'm just very fortunate that I was able to make a career out of it. Right. And I, I believe it's when you were in college that you first met Trip. Yeah. And now how close at that point were you to going the solo route? Like, was that a thought in your mind before you met him? Not, not really. Um, so here's the thing is like, I love bands. Uh, my favorite, you know, I love a lot of solo arts, but some of my favorite things and records have been from bands. And there is something I've always noticed as a musician that bands, even if they're not technically as good as the studio musicians or whatever it is, bands have a thing and I always wanted to be a part of of a thing musically and creatively when you get guys that you know maybe the piano player isn't as good as the studio guy but because of that he has to find different ways to play something that are just that you haven't heard before and and there's every person in a band has that thing they bring to the table so I always wanted to be in a band Um, now I did I had written so much by myself and had so much music that it was kind of that thing where it was like hey I've got a thing. I'm starting a band around it. And if you want to be a part of it, like I need help musically, let's make a sound to my songs. Um, so that was my goal. I, I didn't really have time to think about like a solo project. I, I, I wanted to be in a band. So that, that was kind of an easy, easy transition. Right. And so you meet Trip, and then that kind of sparks everything into gear with him introducing you to the other guys and you all come together and talk about your first rehearsal. I've heard you talk about that and the fact that it was more of it felt like friends connecting than a rehearsal. Yeah, you know, um, in college, I was in bands and there where I went to school, there were a lot of great musicians. So I had guys in my band that were like scholarship musicians, like better, you know, they're just better than me at guitar. Like they're just incredible. and They were great guys. But it, it was a thing where everyone was like a true musician. And it's like, what's the part? What are we playing? Where's the sheets? Like what? And the first Lanco rehearsal, I just met these guys through friends of friends. And we just started hanging out and we were playing music, but we really were just hanging out and having fun. And it, did, it was like, I want to do this tomorrow, not because we got everything done and we should try harder. It was like, oh, this was just fun. What are you guys doing? It's Tuesday. What are you doing Wednesday? Like, let's just keep doing this. It was very, very natural. And I think that was a cool place to start musically, like just having fun as friends turned into having fun with music. Right. And so in 2013, you guys played your first show to some friends. Now, back then when you played that first show and now when you hit the stage, do you have a different feeling or is it that same feeling of hitting the stage, just wanting to play music to whoever wants to listen? So that first show, I probably have the same feeling now as I did that first show. Now the second, third, fourth show are different than now. And the reason for that is that the first show was like, we just booked a venue and we invited all our friends. 
And so you know that they want to be there, that they're pumped, that they're like, they're just supporting you. And so the first, it was just walking on stage and like, Hey, everyone's here. Y'all ready? Let's hit it. Like, you don't have to, you don't have to try too hard. It's just natural. After that, you start getting into the world of playing to complete strangers and playing to people like, okay, what do these guys got? Like, and that was really nerve wracking. Like, and, and you always try to walk on stage and be at home and be comfortable and not worry about the people. But let's be real. You're looking out there and if some guy's standing like this, you can't help but be like, are we wanting him over? Or, you know, and that can creep into your mind. Now, years later, we have a fan base. We sell tickets. People show up and they sing songs. It feels like it did that first time where it's like, oh, these are all my friends. I've never even been to the city, but I know that we all have something in common. We all love this music and we're all happy to be here. So let's freaking go. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of been the, the journey of that live music span. And so does it change when you go from an opener to a headliner then? Because you've been able to open for some pretty big acts, but is is it that feeling when you're opening for a big act of no one knows us as compared to headlining where it's like, okay, yeah, more people are here to see us. Yeah. There's definitely, you know, when you're headline, when you're, when you're opening for like, I mean, we've been out with Luke Combs and Miranda and Dirks and, and so many huge acts um, that when you're walking out there, you do have a confidence, especially because we started getting those opening acts after we had, you know, uh, some radio success. And so, you know, that like at the end of the set, they're going to like be happy at least for one song. <laughs> and, and the rest of the night is like, all right, so we have three minutes of that song. Let's use other 27 minutes or 30 minutes to prove that that's not all that we are, that we got something else. And to, to create moments that, that when we come back to that town by ourselves, people go like, Hey, those guys were good. We saw them for 30 minutes. I want to see them for an hour and a half. Um, but there's definitely, I mean, there's an intensity when you're going out opening, of like, hey, we're here, we've arrived. You're very, you're, you're really trying to pull people in. Um, when you're headlining, it is, I don't wanna say it's more relaxed because you still have intensity, but it, yeah, there is just the confidence of like, the second you sing your first song, people are like loving it, even though it's an album cut. And, and that's, they're both fun for different reasons. It's, I'm competitive, so I, I love winning people over and seeing people get Lanco for the first time. Um, but I also, I mean, there's nothing better than getting in a room with, with your fans and just, just having fun for an hour and a half, two hours. And you talk about winning people over. Let's talk about that uh, faithful meeting with Jay Joyce that kind of changed everything for you. Um, for people who don't know, Jay Joyce is a huge record producer down in Nashville. You're working the concession stand at Bridgestone arena during a Keith Urban concert and you see him walk by and you decide to shut down the till and go talk to him. Now, at that point, were you thinking, I have to pitch myself? Or were you just thinking, there's a great producer, I just want to go talk to him and, you know, tell him how much I like his stuff and, and try to get to know him a little? Um, I, I'd like to say the, the latter, the second one. I mean, really, Jay is, to this day, one of my favorite producers of all time, all genres. Um, and he was at the time too. And I just, I mean, I, I've seen every cage elephant talk about my rock background. I've seen cage elephant. I was there when they were playing to 400 people and crowd surfing. And so I knew Jay was involved with that and also the Eric church stuff. Um, so he just was like the ultimate goal of like a producer just creatively to meet. So I did want to meet him and talk to him. Um, but at the same time, 
I'm sure subconsciously in some kind of manifestation thing, like I definitely, we needed a producer. We needed an opportunity. I never thought it would happen the way it did where he actually like we swap numbers and he invites me over and we're actually working with him that I don't think I would have taken it that far, but you know, it is a lot of times like who you can meet. It is that, you know, preparation meeting opportunity. I knew we had good songs knew we had good music and maybe this guy could, steer us in the right direction or give me another phone number of a guy that he worked with that might produce us um so it was kind of both I, I didn't expect what it led to but i i wanted to meet him as a fellow creative and then also like hey you're a pro in this do you got anything for anything that that would help me advice or a number or anything so kind of both of those and do you think that maybe if you want to went up to him a little harder and been like i have a band will you produce us like it would have been different because i know i've been in situations where if you don't push a person for what they can offer you, they're more willing to offer it to you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Like it's, it's just like hanging out with someone, you know, it's like, or if you're like going on a date, um, you, you don't, you don't become friends with people or get in relationships with people because of their, like what they can offer you, you know, like, Hey, I'm a doctor and I have a nice house, a nice car. Like that's just, that's not why you're friends with someone or whatever. You just like dig the vibe. And especially when you're going to create, you have to like, I definitely approached him as a fan and I immediately referenced some of his records and had a question for him on, on one of the drum samples on one of the songs. So we just started talking music and something it's like, Oh, cause if you're going to work together, you're around each other a lot. So I, I didn't even intend this, but you learn like, Oh, be yourself and be be cool as a person and offer something as who you are not what you cool you have a band everyone has a band you write songs everyone writes songs but who are you as a person do they want to be around you every day for weeks on end working on a record so yeah i I definitely approached it as like this is a once in a lifetime conversation and i just want to pick the guy's brain and and that led to, to actually working together and it didn't happen right away. It was a couple of weeks and you were driving around and you still hadn't connected. You had his number and you're driving around and you hear Springsteen from Eric Church on the radio. And you're like, screw it. I got to take my shot. You pull over and you call him. And I heard you talk about the fact in sort of a no BS way, he sort of says to you, like, what do you want? What do you want from this? And in that moment, where does your mind go? Cause I know for me, I would almost freeze up and be like, uh, 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 I want to be a musician, but for you, like, what was that moment like? Yeah, that, um, man, you really know, uh, your information. Uh, <laughs> you've done your research. This is awesome. Uh, I haven't told this story. I don't even, I don't, I, this is wild. Um, I don't even know where you got that story, but that's all true. It was, um yeah i remember like yeah we you just want to be cool right so like we swap numbers i hadn't really i text him like once i think he texts back but you just you don't want to annoy the guy he's your hero and i'm not kidding it literally was like god or the universe or whatever you choose to believe like i'm driving and i just started working with another producer and it wasn't going well he was like a buddy and i just was like and i i was driving heard springsteen and just loved that song and was like man i have that guy's number and yeah i literally pulled into a parking lot and called him and that's exactly right he was he now i know him better like yeah he's not going to chat it up again you already did that yeah he's very nonsense like what do you yeah what do you want why are you calling me what do you actually want 
And those are the moments where I am so thankful that I was working for minimum wage, the concession stand, and I was sleeping on couches and that I was broke and I just wrecked my car and all these things that like you are so desperate that when you do get that moment, you have a chance for the knockout. No, you don't freeze up. This is it. Like this is your stage. And it just, yeah, you just say, I want to be an artist. I want to be in a band. I want to travel the world playing music. I want millions of people to hear my music and I just need the catalyst. I need someone to help me get there. Um, and that, yeah, in that moment, you're, you're, you've been backed into a corner for years and this is your chance to claw your way out. And there's in that moment, yeah, there's no hesitation. Um, fortunately, there's no hesitation for me. That's, that's your moment. It's like you're in a boxing match for years and finally you get that open shot and you just, you don't even hesitate. You just take it. And after years of writing on your own, like you talked about going into college, you had a lot of stuff that you had written. So when you got into the Nashville community and started writing with others and some of the heavy hitters of the industry, what was that like for you in making that transition of writing by yourself to writing with others? Yeah, it was a, it it was good. It was everything, you know, it was all kinds of emotions. There were, when you first get in there, you're, you're just excited to be around other creatives and other people that are going to help you out and find different ways to say things. And there were times a big thing is, is early on recognizing just because that line is good or that melody is good. Is that you, is that what you would have done? Is that, are you going to be able to say that? There would be times I'd hear a line. I'm like, Oh my God, that's so cool. And it's you, when you get to that stage in your career, you better really know who you are because there's that thing of like, the nerve it takes and it's what songwriters want you learn that you think you're being like out of line by going like i don't know like you literally are writing with a guy that has luke bryan hits keith urban hits tim mcgraw hits kenny chesney hits and you're going to tell him that's not the line and at first you're like okay this may sound crazy it's really good but i would say that and then you finally go awesome that's good let's keep going because they don't want to write a luke bryan song for you they don't want to they want to have a hand in helping you find your voice and that was a a really cool thing to find that and collaborating with people to, to, you know, kind of like wordsmiths, like, Hey, walking in, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I want to say. This is how I want to say it, but like help me find different ways to, to say it or express it and get different opinions. So it was, a, it was, that's been a cool journey over the years learning how to do that. And through that journey of all the songs you've, that you have written with others, what was it like for greatest love story a song that you wrote on your own what was it like to have that song be the one that sort of launched you guys into the stratosphere and really got your career going yeah it was definitely honestly it was uh once you learn more about the industry and you get in it and you see how like it's surprising because that just doesn't happen like solo rights and in a band like that, that just the way that song took off from, from me just writing it, that's not, that's not usually how it goes. But one thing that was cool about that was that because that was our first hit and our first song to really connect and it was purely us. I mean, that was us playing. That was me writing. It does give you the confidence like, okay, I want to utilize the talent that is around us in Nashville and the songwriters and the producers. But at the end of the day, obviously people are connecting with something that we sound like and something that I want to say. And so when that's how your career starts off, it does give you confidence to be like, okay, apparently we our instinct is right. Like my writing instinct is right. Uh, I'm not going to get it right every time, but 
that chasing that gut feeling, it gives you the confirmation, the affirmation to be like, okay, my gut has been right before and I, I can chase that. And so the end of 2017 and start of 2018 was when things really started to take off. What was that period like for you guys as a band when everything just started to take off at hundred miles per minute? It was a lot, you know, it, it's a, a lot of emotions. You're, you've been down and out, you've been nobody for so long and now everyone's starting to pay attention, starting to listen and you have this moment and I mean, you got, it's time to work. You got to hit the ground running. You are getting no sleep. You're meeting with three radio stations a day, then playing a show that night then waking up at 4am to get on a 6am flight to do it all over again, over and over and over for about a year, year and a half. And it's that time where you do remember, like we would get tired. And I would say like, when you are thinking about like, I can't do this, like I'm too tired. I can't show up. I can't have I can't have the conversation with the fan or the radio person. I can't go play the show and get my best. It's like, remember when we were sitting on that porch and we were practically homeless, like, you know, literally sleeping in living rooms and kitchens, whatever, like this was what you wanted. And I always said like, I, one thing I'm not going to look back and say someone outworked me. If the song wasn't right or the talent wasn't there, you can't help that, but I'm going to work. And it was that thing that was definitely work mode where you're, trying to enjoy it but honestly you're working so hard because it's all hitting you at once from all factors and you're going all around the world to try and you know show what you are what people have heard now show it and so it was it's it was a blur it was one of the best times of my life but also i mean honestly the hardest it was crazy so coming into 2020 then was it a little bit of a blessing to be able to slow down to write this new music, to kind of reflect on what had just happened within that flurry and be able to just kind of take stock of it and move forward from there? Yeah, it was, um, it was almost, it was almost too much because at first, you know, we had a sold out weekend. We were in Green Bay and we were going to be in Minneapolis and she got all sold out shows. We were on the Miranda tour then doing headlining days and we got called home on those headlining days. And I remember being home and not even absorbing the situation. I knew it was bad. I knew it was like, I mean, come on, the country shutting down. That's a bad situation. Yeah. But you don't know how bad it's going to get the next year and a half of your life. You're going to be in that same situation. And at first it was definitely like, Hey, I'm going to sleep. I'm going to like take a minute. I'm going to go fishing, you know, like, like just anything like socially distanced to, to, you know, try and work on my mental health and, and get back to normal. And then it's that thing, like I was saying at the beginning of the interview, where it's like, uh, okay, what? Like, no one's telling us what to do. We don't have a calendar. We don't have a tour schedule. Like, we just have to do it. And we hadn't had been in that position really since 2014 because we got a record deal on 20. We started working with Jay. That happened 2014, 2015. So since then, there's been someone like, hey, here's your schedule for the month. Right. When there was no schedule, it was like, hey, why are we? doing this no one's telling us to do why are we doing this what do we want to do how do we want to do it and that was a really interesting time that i think we came out better than we were before but it was definitely a moment that i don't think anyone really in their career gets ever to to you know have no schedule and be like i just want to write today you know it is wild and so the first album you produced with Jay, you wrote with, like I say, some of the heavy hitters in Nashville for your new EP, you self-produced and basically self-wrote the entire album. So was that just because 
of the pandemic and the fact you were all together and couldn't really connect with others in the industry? Or is that something that you guys just wanted to do? Um, it, it was something we just wanted to do. I mean, you know, really, we still, so we work with both Jay Joyce and Dan Huff. Dan Huff is also one of the, you know, best producers, once again, in the world, just an incredible guy. And we, we put out some music over 2020 that we had done with Dan. And I, I wrote with Jay uh, once everything started opening back up a little bit. I wrote him just a few months ago. I still, you know, we still hang out. We still talk and we, we very well still work together, still work with Dan. But yeah, we had written so much, just the five of us over the, the pandemic that it's like, okay, it was, it was too many songs. It's like, okay, so we have all this stuff that we're still planning on working on another record with a major producer or not a major producer, but an outside producer to keep us accountable. But it was like, man, we had already been working on these demos and just playing every day. It's like, why don't we just like book a studio, go to Muscle Shoals, get some hotel rooms and just pretty much do what we did in 2014, but record it. And now we have fans that want to hear it. So instead of it, it, they were all songs were just sitting in our email inbox that we would like go out on the boat and play them be like, dude, this is awesome. But are they going to make the cut? Are they going to make it to a record? And it's like, we're in a position now. We have fans. Who cares? Let's just like track it ourselves. Let's not spend a ton of money on it. Just go down there, drink some beers, produce it ourselves, play it ourselves and put it out. So it was definitely just something fun to do coming out of, uh, coming out of the pandemic. So what does that mean for you guys as a band then coming back into sort of the craziness of band life and, and starting to get going again, having that time to reconnect and do it together and just be a band for that time before hitting it again. Yeah, it kind of, it really, it's so weird because it kind of feels like starting all over uh, mentally in a good way, because like I was saying that moment in 2017, 2018, where it's like, Hey, you wanted this, like you were begging for this and you got it. So no complaints. Now it's the same thing. Where it's like, we're sitting around like, Oh, this would be so cool to play it live. This would be so, you know, this and that, you're back now. And so already, you know, the first few runs, it's like, man, you're out of shape. You're tired. You're not, you're not, you sleep on a bus anymore. And it's like, man, no complaints now. Get you a cup of coffee and let's go. This is all we wanted the past year and a half. And we're back. Yeah. And I was thinking, wouldn't it be horrible after the past year and a half, if you hit the stage and you were like, ah, I don't really like this anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I've, I've, wondered if that would happen to people. I mean, cause that happened to people all around with all industries, people grinded for decades and then they got a year off and we're like, wait, do I, do I love this? Or was I just in the hamster wheel doing it? Cause it's all I knew. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there were times we all started families two, three out of five of us had kids over the, over the pandemic. And I mean, I, frankly, I was like, I was a little worried to go back on the road and be like, okay, I'm not 23 anymore. Like I'm not, you know, the kid, I have a wife and now I have a, a child and it's like, am I going to have just as much fun? Am I going to enjoy it? And I, to be, I was totally nervous our first weekend out. It's like, am I going to like sleeping on a bus away from my face? Like, am I going to, but then first show you walk out on the stage and you see the people singing and they're, I mean, they're just loving it. And it's like, oh yeah, this isn't just about me my whole thing is I make music so I enjoy it, but then I put it out there so that other people can enjoy it. And when you realize that your music really impacts other people, it's like, Oh, it's not just me on stage. It's all of us. Everyone that's in this room, we're all in this together. And so that makes it worth it. And so it's been, it's been really great to be back. 
That's awesome. And I know with your first album, you guys wanted to put out an album. You wanted to have a body of work for fans. But now that you have that, you released singles through 2020, 2021. You released the EP. So are you going to go back to an album or are you going to stick with sort of that EP single mentality? I, I really don't know. I, I still love Bodies of Work. We definitely will put out an album at some point. But um, that first album was very, if you listen to it, there's a thread through the whole thing. There's a, you know, it's, it's very coming of age. Um, it was reflecting really the time of being broke, but also falling in love and, you know, the uncertainty of, of just the future. So just live in the moment. And uh, I like in a full body of work for there to be that thread. And I think that, you know, we've worked on a lot of great music that we've, put out and maybe packaged into a record or now, you know, we put out the CP, you know, we may start fresh and, and start a new body of work that, that will be a, a second album um, starting in the next month or two. We're already working on new music and you're going, okay, is this a new chapter? Was chapter one, the album was chapter two, these individual releases, this honky tonk hippies EP era. And then it's chapter three, actually album two, you know, like, is that, is this the new phase where we can find a body of work that makes sense to put out as a whole and so, yeah, it's, it's still a journey trying to figure out um, how and, and what to do, but, uh, but we'll get there. Thank you guys once again for listening and thank you to Brandon for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out Lanco's new EP, Honky Tonk Hippies, wherever you stream your music. Please also make sure to like, share, follow, subscribe to us on whatever streaming service you are listening on and head over to social media as well so you can stay up to date on all the exciting episodes we have coming up in the future. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me. Mm-hmm.